Today's Happy Healthy You podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com forward slash happy healthy you. Over 150,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle or MP3 player. While we may be living longer, our brains are not as healthy as they could be. And in fact, they might be deteriorating faster than they need to. Hi, everybody. I'm Connie Bowman. Welcome to Happy Healthy You, the podcast, the weekly podcast about living a whole life in mind, body, and spirit. And today's guest will help us to improve our memory and our brain power. He'll help us lessen stress, anxiety, and depression, prevent dementia, Alzheimer's, and general cognitive decline, and he's going to help our relationships and our love lives, I love that, and help us connect with our loving center of peace. He is Brant Courtright, PhD, and he's a highly respected clinical psychologist and professor of psychology at California Institute of Integral Studies. His consulting practice specializes in cutting-edge brain health and neuroscience-informed depth therapy. He's the author of two previous books, aside from the one we'll talk about today, published by SUNY Press, Psychotherapy and Spirit, as well as Integral Psychology. He currently lives in the San Francisco Bay Area, and he's a available for radio, TV, and podcast interviews like this. Hi, Dr. Courtright. Can I call you Brant? Yes, please do. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, um, hi, Connie. It's good to be here. Yes, and today we're going to talk about your new book, The Neurogenesis Diet and Lifestyle Upgrade, Your Brain Upgrade Your Life. Oh my gosh, this sounds amazing, but what the heck is neurogenesis? Good question. So neurogenesis is how the brain produces new brain cells, giving birth to new neurons. And it used to be believed that we stop growing new brain cells in our early 20s. And then it's just a slow die off after that. But then in the late 1990s, they discovered that actually the brain creates new brain cells throughout our entire life, this process known as neurogenesis. And at first, I didn't know the significance of this, but recently, the past five or 10 years, they've realized that actually our rate of neurogenesis, that is the rate at which our brain produces new brain cells, has a very great impact on the quality of our life and the quality of our brain. So low rates of neurogenesis are associated with cognitive decline, with memory problems, with anxiety, with stress, and with depression. And high rates of neurogenesis are associated with just the opposite, with cognitive enhancement, with rapid learning, and with robust emotional resilience. So protection against anxiety, stress, and depression, as well as heightened immunity. And this book is really about increasing our rate of neurogenesis. Okay, so low rate of neurogenesis, bad. High rate of neurogenesis, good. That's that's right. That's interesting. Yeah, when I was raised uh, in you know school, we were always told we did not create new brain cells. So this is sort of a new yeah. paradigm shift in our understanding of the brain. Would you say? That's right. It's a huge paradigm shift, and it has huge implications 
for all of us, because it turns out that just about all of us have lower rates of neurogenesis than we need to. And so, you know, we used to think that the brain was either healthy or unhealthy. And if it was unhealthy, like you had Alzheimer's, you had a concussion or an injury or something, it wouldn't function too well. Otherwise, it was healthy. Well, it turns out that what we think of as the normal or average or healthy brain is actually well below what's possible. It's not actually healthy. It's kind of at a subpar level that just about all of us are operating well below what we can. They did this one experiment with mice where they gave mice a, a kind of holistic treatment. Um, that isn't what they called it. They called it an enriched environment. That's my word for it, a holistic treatment. But what they did was they gave them like uh, a really good diet. They gave them running wheels to exercise on. They gave them lots of interesting environments to explore. They gave them other friendly mice to play with and mate with. Their rate of neurogenesis went up five times. Wow. So those mice taught us some stuff about our brains. What did we learn from that? That's right. And they became kind of like super mice. Right? They, had, they had big cognitive advantages hmm. over their normal neurogenesis rate peers. And they also had big emotional advantages. They were just living on a much higher level. And it turns out all of us can make those same changes. Mm, wow. Well, I guess we'll talk later about how we can make those changes. They sound pretty phenomenal. But you don't usually consider the brain to have to do with the quality of life, but it really does. Can you talk about that a little bit, how the brain having a healthy brain enhances our quality of life? Oh, everything we experience, we experience through the brain. Okay. So every thought, every feeling, every vision, every dream, every fear, every scratch, every sensation. So the quality of our brain determines the quality of our experience, the quality of our consciousness, the quality of our life, really. And if we have a low quality brain, or a diminished quality brain, we have a diminished quality life. And of course, all of us want the, the best life we can possibly have, sure. which means having a brain operating at its peak capacity. Hmm. So can we just do things like crossword puzzles and, and other kinds of exercises to keep the brain in shape? Is it like a workout? That's a great question. <laughs> Um, and, and I mean, that is the million dollar question, really. Like, what do we do to get a better brain? Yeah. So this approach in this book is a holistic approach, meaning body, heart, mind, spirit. So every level of us, every level of our consciousness, every physical sensation, every emotion, every thought, and every spiritual state we experience through the brain. So in a holistic approach, what we're doing really is we're using all of these levels together to enhance brain health. These all work together synergistically wow. through a number of different um, processes, through different kinds of exercise, through different things that we eat, through different emotional stimulation. Um, but oftentimes those new brain cells die off. For example, um, one of the best things you can do to increase your rate of neurogenesis is aerobic exercise. Um, all kinds of exercise are good for the body, but the only kind that seems to really enhance neurogenesis is aerobic exercise. 
anything that gets us breathing fast, breathing hard. So running, biking, walking up hills, fast walking, fast dancing, swimming. What that does, the brain fairly explodes with new neurons, with aerobic exercise. But it turns out that about, <clears throat> excuse me, half of those new brain cells are pruned and die off pretty rapidly within a few weeks. Hmm. But if we do other things, such as we include hesperidin in our diet, what hesperidin does and certain other nutrients is it keeps these new brain cells alive so that we can get then close to 100% survival rate and therefore an upgraded quality of life. Okay. So yes, it's a holistic approach. We need to use body, heart, mind, spirit. They all work together. Just doing one thing, like, like you asked the question about computer games or crossword puzzles. It turns out that the research on those is pretty interesting. It basically shows that <clears throat> those kind of exercises help doing that particular exercise, but it doesn't generalize to anything else. Okay. So doing crossword puzzles is helpful for doing more crossword puzzles. Or doing a computer game is helpful for doing that particular computer game. But it doesn't generalize across the board. So the research shows that doing specific brain activities like crossword puzzles or computer games work very well for, those, for crossword puzzles or those specific computer games. But they don't generalize to other brain functions. And so to increase our cognitive capacities, we need a variety of cognitive um, stimulations, ways of exercising our brain cognitively. We need a kind of cross-training for the brain. Oh, cross-training. I like that. So so aerobic exercise helps. We know that. I have a question about Harris-Spiritin. Can you say that again uh, and tell yeah. me where we can find that? <laughs> yes, yes. So the book goes into 30 or 40 different nutrients sure. that stimulate neurogenesis. And one of these is called hesperidin. Hesperidin is a bioflavonoid found in citrus fruits. Again, one of its main functions in the body is for brain health. It's an antioxidant, but also it keeps these new brain cells alive. So it's a really important addition for anybody who's interested in increasing and maintaining a high rate of neurogenesis. Okay. And I know there's lots more in the book. How about meditation when you talk about some of the other, some of the cross training we can do? Does meditation help? So there's two kinds of spiritual practice that seem to be really helpful for increasing our rate of neurogenesis. And these two kinds of spiritual practice are, first of all, mindfulness practice. Mindfulness practice is a process of bringing our attention into the here and now into the present moment. And there's many different varieties of it. In one, we pay attention to the breath, just the breath coming in and going out of the body. And that brings us into the here and now. In other mindfulness practices, we simply pay attention to whatever arises in consciousness. And we observe it arise, and we observe it pass away, and we observe whatever else arises. And the effect of these different mindfulness practices is to apparently increase neurogenesis along our entire hippocampus. And 
it also seems like it increases connections in the prefrontal cortex, which is responsible for our higher brain functions and executive function. The other sort of meditation practice that's helpful for increasing neurogenesis are devotion practices, things like devotional prayer, compassion practices, love, bhakti, devotion, um, surrender practices, essentially practices that open the heart. And different heart-opening practices also have this very robust effect on the brain and along the entire length of the hippocampus. Again, just um, neurogenesis seems to uh, be stimulated in a very powerful way. You know, it was really surprising when they first started studying meditation and doing brain imaging studies because they didn't expect to see much. It looks like the person is just sitting there doing nothing. Hmm. But it turns out meditation is actually a very dynamic process. Anybody who's meditated knows this. There's actually a lot going on in the brain when we meditate. Yeah, it's really exciting, all the research that's now coming out about the benefits of meditation. And uh, it's pretty cool. It's very cool that they're studying it. It is. Can you talk about Alzheimer's? It seems to be so prevalent in our society and our aging population. Can you? Does this give us hope for finding a cure for Alzheimer's? Um, this does. This is, I think, the first hope we actually have even had. So, yes, Alzheimer's is huge. Right now, according to the Alzheimer's Association, one in three seniors dies with either Alzheimer's or some other form of dementia. And if present trend lines continue, 50% of the people who reach the age of 85 will have Alzheimer's. And since most of us are expected to live to be 85, that gives most of us about a 50-50 chance. And that's kind of scary. I mean, sure. what's the point of living longer if our mind isn't there to enjoy it? So it turns out that Alzheimer's is in almost all cases, a lifestyle disease. And it actually begins decades before we actually see symptoms. So right now, again, you look on the Alzheimer's Association website, and it will say this, that Alzheimer's is the only major disease for which there is no treatment, there is no prevention, there is no cure, there is no treatment even for when people have it. We have some drugs that help with symptoms for a few months, and that's all. And the pharmaceutical industry is, has spent already billions of dollars on drug trials trying to come up with something. And so far, the result has been an abject failure. Zero. Zip. Nothing has come forth from the pharmaceutical companies. So right now, the conventional medical um, position is that basically there isn't any hope. I mean, hopefully something will be discovered. Well, it turns out that there is some holistic research that gives us a lot of hope. So holistic research is, there isn't a lot of it done because most of the research done is funded by, by pharmaceutical companies or it's done by academic researchers who are looking to find the next new drug that they can make a lot of money on. Mm -hmm. It's understandable. But there are a few places that are doing holistic research. 
the reason holistic research isn't very popular is because most of the things you use are free. There's no drug that can be patented. So the Buck Foundation here in California, late last year, came out with a study that showed that people who had experienced cognitive decline, some so severely that they had to quit their jobs, by using a holistic treatment, actually a kind of simplified version of what is in the book, body, heart, mind, spirit, were able to actually reverse the cognitive decline they had experienced. Their memories came back and they were able to go back to work for the two years that this study followed them. And then a few months ago, a Finnish study came out that was the first randomized controlled study of 1,200 people who were at risk for cognitive decline. And again, they used a very simplified version of the holistic approach in this book. And they found that indeed, they were able to prevent this at-risk population from developing cognitive decline for the two years that they followed them. So I think that from a holistic perspective, what we're seeing is that Alzheimer's is a lifestyle disease. And one important part of that lifestyle is it's also involved, but also is involved in it, is a dysregulation of sugar metabolism. So some people are now calling Alzheimer's type three diabetes. And that this is something that occurs, again, decades before we begin to see insulin resistance, we begin to see higher blood sugar levels. And as that happens, cognitive decline begins to happen. We get a bigger buildup of beta amyloid, this plaque that is involved in Alzheimer's. And also the hippocampus gets attacked. And the hippocampus is involved in a number of different parts of the brain, but it also is crucially involved in processing new memory. And so this is also the place where neurogenesis happens. So in Alzheimer's, neurogenesis is attacked, the hippocampus is attacked, and memory begins to just pull the rug out from all the other brain functions. So Alzheimer is, is a huge problem and it's going to become even more huge. But I think for the first time, we finally have some hope. And it looks like right now that a holistic approach is the only approach that has been successful in working with this. Mm, that's so hopeful. I wonder if you can talk about depression and anxiety and also addiction and how this awareness of this uh, neurogenesis can maybe help with all of them, if possible. Good, yes. So it turns out with anxiety and chronic stress, as well as in depression, we see low rates of neurogenesis. And those low rates of neurogenesis make us more vulnerable to exactly more of the same, to more anxiety and more depression. And when we experience that, we become much more vulnerable to things like drug addiction or alcoholism as a way to feel better temporarily, as a form of emotion regulation, trying to feel better. So it turns out that antidepressants, such as SSRIs, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, 
which have been on the market now for, I don't know, 20, 30 years, it turns out that the way they work is not by increasing serotonin levels in the brain, right? There's, there's been this whole serotonin deficiency theory around mm-hmm. depression. And the idea is that people who are depressed have lower than normal rates of serotonin. They need medication to increase their rate of their level of serotonin. And when that's better, then they feel normal. Well, it turns out that theory is wrong. And the way the SSRIs work, the way the antidepressants work, is actually by increasing the rate of neurogenesis. The increase in serotonin has virtually nothing to do with the change in mood. Because when you take an antidepressant, your serotonin levels go up within hours. But you don't get a change in depression for three or four weeks. And that's how long it takes new brain cells to come online Mm. and mature. So there have been numerous experiments at, at this point that have pretty much blown the serotonin deficiency theory out of the water. Now, the pharmaceutical companies actually know this. They know that it's not true, but they are selling $16 billion a year of SSRIs and have a good thing going at this point. Um, They are hard at work on drugs to increase our rate of neurogenesis. And when they discover them, we will hear nonstop marketing for them, probably. But it turns out that there are many other things that are excellent Um, at increasing our rate of neurogenesis that don't have side effects. Um, For example, omega-3 fatty acids or fish oil. There have actually been a few studies done that show that fish oil at about 6 grams a day is actually more effective than SSRIs and antidepressants. So antidepressants, again, sometimes they're very helpful and necessary in treating depression. But my own sense is that they are hugely overprescribed. Between the ages of 25 and 45, American women, one quarter of them, are taking antidepressants. There's something about that that seems uh, off to me. Um, and the antidepressants work in less than 50% of the people who take them. And they have a lot of side effects, such as uh, loss of libido, loss of sex drive which is depressing in itself. Right, right. Um, And they also decrease your serotonin receptors. You can lose up to 50% of them in your brain, which begins to make people dependent upon these drugs. So with omega-3 fatty acids, there are some studies to show they are actually more effective for moderate depression than SSRIs. But again, without any of the side effects. So one of the very best things you can do for your brain is to eat a good amount of omega-3 fatty acids from fish oil. Um, The brain is made up of about two-thirds fat. And so what we want to eat is a lot of healthy fats. And we want to not eat unhealthy fats because those degrade the quality of the brain. Sure. So, and one of the best high quality fats is omega-3 fatty acids. So if you do fish oil, what you want to do is a fish oil that is molecularly distilled. Because in fish, going up the food chain of fish, mercury gets concentrated 
And mercury is one of the most potent carcinogens. It's a carcinogen, but it's also a, a neurotoxin. And so it's very damaging to the brain. So we want a fish oil that is molecularly distilled, so it doesn't have any mercury in it. And most people could use between two and four or five grams a day. You know, they did one experiment with monkeys where they raised one set of monkeys on a low omega-3 diet and another set of monkeys on a high omega-3 diet. And then they looked at their brains afterwards. And those on the low omega-3 diet had very simple, undifferentiated brains. And those on the high omega-3 diet had very complex, highly differentiated brains, almost like human beings. When it comes to the brain, complexity is good. We want complexity. And so one of the best things we can do is eat fish and um, fish oil. However, we don't want to eat fried fish because fried fish or fried any kind of food oxidizes the fats. So we want good healthy fats, which are non-oxidized fats, and we don't want unhealthy bad fats which are basically oxidized fats. And fats oxidize at certain temperatures when they're cooked, like fried food creates lots of oxidized fats or cooking in vegetable oil, for example. Nobody should be cooking in vegetable oil. It oxidizes the fats. And when oxidized fats are then eaten, it oxidizes the cholesterol in the bloodstream. And this produces heart disease, slows down your rate of neurogenesis and it creates inflammation and inflammation chews up the inside of your blood vessels and also lowers neurogenesis so we want to cook with saturated fats things like coconut oil butter ghee even lard or tallow these things don't oxidize and we want to eat lots of good healthy fats for the brain so things like avocado nuts grass-fed beef, fish, pasture-raised um, dairy, um, and yogurt, and pastured eggs. These things are really good. These kind of healthy fats are great for the brain. But most Americans eat a diet that's high in unhealthy, bad, oxidized fats, and it lowers the rate of neurogenesis, and it damages the inside of the blood vessels, and it creates heart disease and cognitive decline pretty quickly. Okay. You know, we live in the West, and we all want quick fixes, and yeah, that's why we look to drugs for these changes. Using addiction as an example, say we're in recovery, and the uh, we know I've had other people on the podcast. We know that the neurotransmitters in the brain are compromised uh, with prolonged uh, substance abuse. If we were to undertake a diet and lifestyle change that you suggest in your book, what is the timetable for increasing the rate of neurogenesis? What can we expect? Uh, how long can we expect it to take to see start seeing some changes? Um, for most of the people I work with, it takes a couple of months to begin to really feel better, to feel like their memory is better, to feel like their mood is increased. Um, it takes about this long for new brain cells 
to come online, to really mature. Um, but it, it also depends on how much toxicity is in the person, that they also need to kind of detox. And my experience is that that can take six months, eight months, a year, even two years. Okay. Some of these drugs are just so much in the cells of the body that the, the psyche, the, the brain, doesn't get fully clear for actually up to a couple of years later. And even if the drugs are cleared out of the system, I think it takes a good couple of years to feel like this new high neurogenesis rate, like you are just solid in it. It's like you begin to feel like you are operating on a different level, probably within a couple of months. But then as you sustain that, it becomes more and more solid inside. And after a couple of years, you realize, wow, I'm in a very different place than I was before. Yeah, I asked that question because I'm interviewing a guy next week for the podcast about this epidemic of addiction that we have in this country. I mean, there's some, something like 80 million people, and it's it's just crazy. Wow. And this sounds like it's also promising for this this area as well. So, yes, yes. Yeah. Tell me, Dr. Brandt, what is the most fascinating thing? Because it's obvious you love this field. What is the most fascinating thing for you that you have uncovered in this whole new science of brain? Well, I think the most interesting thing that I've come to in this is realizing just how everybody's brain is compromised, that we live in a neurotoxic world. And it takes a good amount of effort to avoid neurotoxins and to focus on a neurohealthy way of living. When we do, we feel so much better. And I just worry about American children, particularly. You know, one thing that reduces the rate of neurogenesis is a high sugar diet. A high sugar diet will reduce your rate of neurogenesis by 50%. Mm. So when you think about the diet of the average American child, starts out with, I don't know, sugar frosted flakes, orange juice. It's like they're getting a lot of sugar and a lot of bad fat. And that is terrible for their brains. It slows down their rate of neurogenesis. And, you know, childhood rates of depression are up by eight times what they were from the 1950s. And for childhood anxiety, anxiety disorders, it's up five to eight times. And these are with the same standardized tests that were done in the 50s. This isn't due to just, you know, better um, screening. So I just think that so much of what we're seeing is a result of unhealthy brains because we've been sold in the past 20 or 30 years that we should eat a low-fat, mm-hmm. high-carbohydrate diet. So I just think a lot of what we're doing needs to really change. And that's been eye-opening for me to really see the impact of diet and also less exercise and lifestyle Mm. on our brain function and the quality of our life. Maybe you could suggest, before we give all your information about where we can get your book and more information about you, one change that we can make today, because we all need to start where we are, what is one change that we could make today to, to get started on this this plan? Um, one change to make would be to make sure that you get a lot of good, healthy fat in your diet. Um, and <clears throat> let me just add one other nutrient to add in, which is um, 
curcumin or turmeric, mm. which is the yellow in curry spice. Sure. This is also, it's a big anti-inflammatory, it's a big antioxidant, and it's also really helpful for increasing our rate of neurogenesis. And it's very simple just to add into your food. Yeah, I keep turmeric on my counter. I try to throw it in everything. It's a great anti-inflammatory. Awesome. So uh, for more information about your book, The Neurogenesis Diet and Lifestyle, where can we find where can we find it? Well, it's on Amazon, okay. or you can order it from any bookstore, or you can go to the book website if you want to read the first chapter for free, which is neurogenesisdiet.com. Okay. You can go to my website, which is brandcourtright.com. Thank you so much. This is so fascinating, and I know it's going to be eye-opening for so many people, and with the high rates of Alzheimer's and dementia, this is really good news. So thank you so much for all this good work. Oh, thank you for having me, and, and I also appreciate just your helping spread the word about neurogenesis. Oh, yeah. Neurogenesis. It's my new mantra. <laughs> Thanks. Healing and Waking Up is a small but powerful book about healing from one of life's greatest tragedies, the loss of a child. It's about love and sadness and being human. The nine lessons in Back to Happy are intended to be food for a broken but awakening soul. Healing from grief and loss is possible. Finding joy again is possible. Back to Happy in paperback, Kindle, and audiobook at Amazon.com. For more information, visit backtohappybook.com.